You may have noticed that we are at a different location this week. That is because our family ministry has locked arms with Windshape Camps and our entire campus has been captivated by over 160 campers, 25 staff members, and over 40 volunteers as they work together to share the grace of Jesus Christ. As of Thursday morning, when I was set to film, we know that two of our campers have committed their lives to Christ. Redemption has taken place. And that is worth all the sweat, the tears, the financial investment, and the time of our volunteers and their staff. But I also want to thank you as a church, as volunteers, and Windshape Camps. But we decided that instead of trying to film in the midst of organized chaos, we made our decision to ask close neighbors of Rich Fork at Chartreuse Barn if we could come to their prayer chapel for this week to film. A huge thank you to Steve for allowing us to be here this week. Let's pray as we continue. God, thank you for our ability to, to film yet again. Thank you for what is taking place, even as we film is taking place on our campus um, this week. God, I thank you for those students who have committed their lives to Christ. Uh, God, who, as one volunteer said yesterday, they have moved from death to life. So thank you that we get to be a part of that in some small way. Thank you for creating us in your view and your work for us to be used by you. So thank you. God, may we explore your word today and the story of redemption and what that means for us, uh, what that means and gives us a picture of you. May it be complete today in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, we introduced our summer teaching series, A Story of Redemption. And it is your story, but also the story of scripture. We took a glance at numerous redemption moments in Scripture from Genesis all the way to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. Today we are going to begin examining the 10 stories of redemption. So yes, we're going to slow down quite a bit. But we will begin today in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and we will end our summer in Revelation, the last one. Each week exploring the thread of redemption in Scripture. Redemption is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. When Paul used the word redemption, it has specific implications. Redemption, a price is paid for the freedom of someone. Redemption, a price is paid for the freedom of someone. For the summer, we want to ask you to learn these verses from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Redemption. The price that's paid according to this passage and other scripture, the price paid is Jesus Christ. For what? The sinfulness of all mankind, including me and you. How is it paid? Lavish grace, abundant grace. And verse nine and 10 remind us that this has been God's plan all along. 
So as we go through these moments in scripture, my prayer is that we would not simply be wowed by God's grace and mercy for each of us, but because I have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, I must be grateful. And because I'm grateful, I'm able to pursue godliness. Now, with all that said as an introduction, let's get to our redemption moment in scripture for this week. It takes place in Genesis chapters one through three. It is the creation story, but also it is the story of when sin entered the world. It's a beautiful picture of creation that I believe to be true and powerful. Genesis one describes the days of creation leading up to the creation of mankind, of which is the only creation that God called very good. Why? Because verse one, chapter one, verse 27 tells us this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God places Adam and Eve in the garden, a place of perfection. But greater than that, a perfect relationship with God, without sin, without shame, and a relationship, communion with God that was innocent, blameless, and pure, simply beautiful. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the garden, but he gave them one rule of protection. Let's look at that moment in scripture. It's found in Genesis chapter two, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis chapter two, verse 16 and 17. What's about to unfurl in front of us is the wave of sin that infects us all. This is a fundamental part of any story of redemption. Every redemption story has a person or persons who are in bondage. It may be emotionally, spiritually, physically. My redemption story, as well as yours, is built on the painful truth that we have all sinned and that our sin was birthed in this moment in Genesis of brokenness. If you don't believe that we are all sinners, just ask for permission from one of our young families and take their precious two-year-old home for the afternoon. And you'll be reminded, you don't have to teach a toddler to be selfish. You don't have to teach a toddler to desire, to push against parental authority, to disobey. We are all sinners. We are tempted to act upon our desires, our temptations, this was evident and rooted in this tragic moment in scripture. The whole Bible witnesses, it reverberates this truth that we have all sinned. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, it says, there's no man who does not sin. In Ecclesiastes, it echoes the same truth. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 3, 23, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is it a fluke that all people everywhere sin? Or is this not compelling evidence that all people have a natural depravity of heart that inclines them to sin? We are all in need of redemption. 
Why? Because we've all sinned. This is not a hard point to prove, but it at times can be a very difficult thing to accept. So back to our scripture, there's the rule. You can eat of every tree in the garden with one exception, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One rule. Now the serpent, scripture says, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. The serpent, Satan, the accuser, driven by pride to his own fall. But make no mistake, Satan is not God. He was created and under God's power. And even though as a serpent, he may squirm, he cannot escape the authority that is over him. But the ploy from Satan, the deceiver, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you hear his subtle twist of the truth? The, subtle, the, the serpent plants the doubt in a carefully worded lie. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Nope. He didn't say that at all. But that sounds a lot like what he did say. And doubt, temptation is planted. Satan began in that moment to implant the temptation that plagues us today, that, that God is, that we hear. God is stingy. He's selfish. He's unloving. Why would God put limits on you? What is he hiding from us? Do you really think that you will die? The next verses of our account are tragic. They're tragic in the moment. They're tragic in history. But, but redemption's coming. It's right around the corner. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's so much to unpack here, but the reality of sin is that when Eve, then Adam, gave into temptation in the moment, the shackles of sin were immediate. Shame, separation, blame. Adam blames Eve they recognize that up until that moment, they immediately recognize that up until that moment, their non-clothing situation was not an issue because up until that moment, lust and shame were non-existent. But sin enters and the impact is immediate and it's tragic. It's disastrous. Verse eight continues. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Immediately we begin to see the impact of sin, blame, deception, lies, shame. Punishment for their sin is going to be swift, but within it, there's a promise pointing forward. First, there's the punishment to the serpent. Verse 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 15 is a verse that we cannot go into great depth today, but we also cannot ignore it or skip it because redemption is foreshadowed. We get a glimpse of it in this verse. How so? God says to the serpent, Satan, I will put enmity or hostility between Satan and his seed and God's family. Now, please don't let me lose you here. This is an important moment of knowledge for your faith because the reality of sin to Satan, hostility and distance will exist between Satan and God's children. Now, this is not describing why women and men, some of us hate snakes, which is understandable, but rather the word enmity, hostility is used to describe hatred between two warring nations. This is a war defined. The battle lines are drawn in verse 15. Satan and his tactics, his demons, versus the children of God, the offspring of the woman. Verse 15, I will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. But there's also a promise. The offspring of woman, again, stick with me. The offspring of woman will one day bruise the head of the serpent, conquer. The implication is to conquer. Yes, the enemy Satan would wound the offspring of woman. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, if I can make this a little more manageable, I, I have to remind myself when I'm speaking to you that, that I've had the privilege to spend hours wrestling through this passage. So I want to make sure to pass this along the essence of this verse and what it means for us. A descendant of Eve will come and that descendant would crush the head of the serpent and destroy him forever. This is the first hint of redemption. Satan will be defeated. This verse in accordance with other scripture is pointing 
towards Jesus for the first time, born of a virgin, offspring of a woman, miraculously fulfilling this moment, but also, yes, Jesus was wounded by the enemy on the cross, yet Jesus always had the upper hand. He rose from the grave to conquer the enemy. The plan of redemption is unfurling in verse 15, and in Revelation, redemption comes full circle and Jesus will stomp down, conquer the enemy forever. The offspring, Jesus, of woman, Mary, will bruise your head, Satan. He will conquer. He will redeem. So let's link this to another moment in Scripture. This is written after the birth and the life of Jesus when Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Genesis 3 is the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment. And Galatians 4 displays the purpose, redemption. Now, I hope you're still with me. Don't click off the video because it's important. It's important to see the beginning and know how broken and disastrous the fall of man is and how it impacts us. Why spend so much time unlocking the depth of our brokenness? Because our level of gratefulness is shaped by our understanding of our brokenness. Our level of gratefulness is shaped by our understanding of our brokenness. Because let's face it, the moments in life that you'll remember The moments that you'll be most thankful for are when you were at their lowest and someone offered you forgiveness. When a friend forgives you for sending a text to the wrong person about something personal and they forgive you, (sighs) grateful. When the speeding ticket is dropped to a penalty that does not in fact impact your insurance, you slow down out of gratefulness at least for a week or two. But what about when a spouse forgives unfaithfulness, when your behavior negatively impacts others and they still forgive you. The only response is gratefulness and that gratefulness leads to change. So today, before we can continue our summer on the storyline of redemption, I had to take us where we don't willingly want to go, to the truth of our sin, to the heart of the matter, but also to the hope. And the hope glimmers for the first time in verse 15. From the offspring will come the conquering hero, Jesus Christ. Then in Genesis 3, the account is the consequence of sin upon men and women. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Not much time to spend on this. Mothers, you understand this battle of pain and childbirth, but also the battle for leadership between men and women was birthed in this moment and still continues today. As a husband to Emily, she graciously walks through marriage and life side by side with me, yet we're human. There are moments when we want to win the argument. We want the decision to go our way. Yes, Scripture does paint a powerful picture of leadership in the home, which has been sabotaged yet again by the enemy in his ongoing enmity, hostility 
But in many moments, it is because godly men have stepped aside from godly living and delivered chaos instead of leadership in the home. But this did not start in our lifetime. It is rooted here. Let me get to the consequence upon Adam very quickly. Verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to the dust you shall return. Have you ever gardened a new patch of soil? It's miserable. Thorns, thistles. Adam is depicted as a broken farmer whose very meals, which used to come with ease, are now set on the back of back-breaking work from his labor, and they're spoiled by his fatigue. The pleasure, the ease of working in the perfect garden, gone. But protection is coming for Adam and Eve, even in the discipline even in the consequence. God's plan of redemption was moving towards each of us, even when we were moving away from God. Go to verse 22 with me. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowledge and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he has taken. He drove out the man and, to the, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The greatest consequence of their sin is surrounded. It is wrapped by the beginning of redemption. Verse 22 through 24, here's God's plan. If he, if he leaves them in the garden, if they reach for the fruit of the tree of life and eat of it, they will live forever in shame and guilt and sin. Redemption would not be possible. Or in discipline, he could cast them out. He could drive them away. He could protect the garden with a cherubim, with a flaming sword to keep them from entering, thus allowing the plan of redemption to continue. You see, if he restrains them from eating in their sinfulness, the tree of life, then they will face physical death, yes, but redemption can still be offered. The grace of God was the punishment of protection and the protection was the introduction to redemption. Stick with me. Discipline and grace are both the goodness of God. They are both a part of redemption. When we sing songs with the depths of our lungs, your goodness is running after me or God is so good, we are acknowledging that the discipline of God is a part of his goodness. We are also announcing that his lavish grace is his goodness. One does not exist without the other. 
Redemption is the completion of grace and discipline. But if we run to the grace of God, but downplay the discipline, then we make light of redemption because we'll always take advantage of grace every time. If we demand only the discipline of God on others, not usually on ourselves, without grace, then we become legalistic and we lack love. Redemption is both. And it is on full display in this tragic moment of Scripture. Let me read it to you this way. Discipline, verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he is taken. Grace. He drove out men, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. When we grab a hold of these moments of redemption, we can become grateful. And because we're grateful, we have the gift to pursue godliness. When I was a kid, I I learned a simple prayer. You may have learned it too. At our dinner table, yours may sound just a little bit different than mine, but similar. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. But what if it said the reality of grace and discipline in this prayer? God, you are great. God is good. We thank him with or without food. By his hands, we pray to be fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. And P.S., even if you don't provide, you are still good. Not only does it not rhyme or have the same cadence, it's not warm and fuzzy. It's not the easy and only exemplifying the one side of good. But the reality is this. God is great. God is good. We just underestimate how good he really is to us. Redemption is his goodness. Redemption is his grace and discipline poured out on us. Have you trusted his grace? Have you been bitter from his discipline, yet forgetting his protection is found in the middle of the consequences of our sin? Today, the story of redemption is not found at the edge of a parting sea moment. It's not found in a miraculous moment that would cause us to stand in awe. Instead, it happens in an unexpected place, in the consequence. It happens in the punishment. It happens when discipline and grace come together. God loved us enough that redemption prevented us from having eternal life in this sinful world. Instead, through Jesus Christ, the offspring of Eve, we can have eternal life in his presence. No sin, no shame, and no end. This redemption causes us to be grateful, and being grateful leads us to pursue godliness. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for those who have experienced your grace and your mercy 
And God, may today be a reminder that when we sin, which we will, and there may be consequence, may we see that in that discipline, in that grace, redemption is taking place. May we see today the foundation. May we lay some groundwork today that we may not have ever examined before as we read through Genesis. May we see that there's a promise and a foretelling in verse 15. May we see that in verse 22 and 23 and 24 that there is grace and discipline offered in the consequence of sin. God, we are thankful that you are a God who does not leave us on our own. You are a God that does not allow us to simply continue in our sin without discipline, but you are a God, as Paul said, whose grace was upon us, lavish, lavishly placed upon us. It's both. Grace and discipline are a picture of redemption. So God, I pray for those who may have pushed you away because of the difficulties of discipline. God, I would ask that they would examine their lives and say, what is God protecting me from? What has he placed? What guardrail has he placed of discipline to protect me? Or what guardrail did he give me that I didn't obey? And now consequences come, but let them also see you are graceful. You are still faithful to forgive us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the harsh, difficult moment of Genesis, but also thank you for the beautiful glimpse of redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. So next Sunday, if you want to prepare ahead of time, you can read Joshua chapter one through three. That's where we'll be next Sunday. Reminder, Keep taking a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. Now, this Wednesday night, we have an opportunity for you to join us in a time of worship, a time of prayer, testimony, um, as we will begin on Wednesday night, June 16th at 6.30 p.m. Again, we will have a time for people to share some testimony. We'll, we might have an opportunity for you to be prayed for or to lift up a prayer request we don't have childcare, important, during this time. And we will not be offended when you're little ones who may join us and behave like little ones. We get it. Again, we want to get together to worship, to pray, to model Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, as we continue to seek and pursue shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ, modeling and living out redemption that is balanced with grace and discipline. Thank you again for joining us.